This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, welcome back to another episode of Breaking Pod. I'm Zach, joined as always by Josh, new father extraordinaire. Josh, how much sleep are you getting these days? Getting more than you might expect. We have a six-week-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old. Three-and-a-half-year-old sleeps great all through the night, 12 hours a night, pretty great. The six-week-old sleeping much better. So for those parents out there, you know that sometimes in the early days of infancy, uh, they don't sleep so much. But uh, yeah, she's sleeping well and, you know, as much as we can ask for. But, you know, I'm back to work now, so that's causing a little bit of complication. And I say back to work. I'm back to work in my home office, which is also a little complicated because you can always hear children and screaming and you think, do I need, is this one of those moments where I need to step in or is this a, you know, you sort of gauge how long it lasts. You know how they used to like hear the thunder or or see the lightning and then wait to count how long the thunder, you know, whatever it is. It's kind of the same thing. It's like, uh, how close is this to being a a disaster? A blow up. Yeah. Or, and you, you can kind of tell by like the, the, the frequency or pitch of the cries like <laughs> yeah is exactly. this is this like an acting dramatization thing where they're trying to get me to come out of my office right. and mediate or is this some instance in which i genuinely have to you know I right mean, it is important to and uh and your uh your baby girl is obviously not at that point yet but with my kids who are a little bit older it's important to let them kind of work work their own problems Definitely. out too sometimes and not always have to be the mediator who comes in yeah and so sometimes uh, you know, they'll be fighting and they'll come to me and say, and you know, my oldest was like, daddy, you know, she did this to me. And I'll say, Esther, you can work it out. Okay. And, and just, you know, <laughs> I, empo- I empower yeah. you to solve this problem. Well, my three and a half year old is, is very much in that phase of not wanting to be alone. So even though he says he wants to be alone, like to watch a show or something, you'll leave him alone. And then one second later, he'll come up yeah. the stairs and he'll say, what, where, where are you? What are you doing? Yeah. Exactly. And I said, well, you know, so I yes, actually totally I don't agree. think I've ever heard from my children that they want to be alone alone. They always have to be around Sally or I. And yeah, uh, it can get it can get a little bit trying sometimes. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. like they'll be happy but... doing something playing. And then I'll like, you know, just leave the room briefly to go to the bathroom. And then before I know it, someone's like knocking on the door of the bathroom. Daddy, That's parenthood you? for you. Yeah, exactly. That's parenthood. Exactly. But you wouldn't know it from watching Breaking Bad because. These kids don't have much interaction with their parents. They do pretty not. Pretty good segue. Uh, pretty good segue yeah, there. That, that was a pretty good segue, yeah. Uh, decent, decent. Holly, Holly tags along on a lot of errands with her mom, and she True. Hear, hears a lot of bad language and yeah. uh, shenanigans, but, you know. I have, my nitpicks for this episode have to do with the children, so when we get there. Oh, right. Uh, both both uh, Flynn, a.k.a. Breakfast, your and fav- Holly. Your favorite character in yes, the show. My yeah. favorite character, yep. yes. So we'll get to those, but yes, I know we have a whole episode to talk about first. Well, excellent. Let's uh, let's go ahead and start, Josh. So this is 38 Snub. This is season four, episode two. I'm going to be honest, Josh, not my favorite episode in Breaking Bad. Not my favorite either. I was rewatching it and I, I realized how little happens in this episode. Yeah. I mean, there are a couple major moments, you know, here, but, and I, and I just checked the, you know, we've been talking a couple times throughout this podcast about the ringers list you know they ranked all of the breaking bad episodes where do you know where this one stands or, Ooh, or do you want to give, uh, give a guess let me i'm gonna guess like in the 45 to 50 range not quite they ranked it 58 of oh, 62 okay. so pretty low yeah this that, is not a, this is not a fan favorite i think that's right i mean that that's that's maybe a little low um but yeah, yeah. There, like you said there are some big things that happen but then there's an awful lot of kind of nothing that goes on and yeah like one of the main things that they communicate here is jesse's 
sort of descent into like I don't know um, numbness. Like he you know, yeah. tries to do things to feel something, and we we spend a lot of the time minute a lot of the the episode minutes wise just kind of watching that. Um, and I think yeah. maybe they have to spend that time to really portray what they're trying to portray, but it's it's not it doesn't make for great cinema. I guess would would be what I would say about that. Yes, I agree with that. But I will say an interesting point about that is, you know, I I don't know if you were a Game of Thrones fan, but in the last season of Game of Thrones, one of the biggest criticisms was that they spent most of the season rushing through everything. And and you never really felt like you connected to why the characters were doing certain things. I think one of the things that Breaking Bad does extremely well throughout its entire run is it does give you time to really get under the skin of these characters. So yes, it's not super interesting to watch Jesse spend an almost an entire episode wordlessly partying and and feeling, but it will give you a deeper appreciation for the character than you probably would have ever expected, you know, a couple episodes down the line next season, you know, that that sort of thing. So it doesn't have an immediate payoff, but I think that understanding what a character is going through and then being able to show it is extremely important in building you know, fans of the show and sort of, you know, like producing good quality television. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I think this show is just so good. And it's another reason why I'm also just a big fan of the television series as an art form, because you can pack in so much more uh, into a series like this versus El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, right? You're, right. Not, you're not limited to two hours of runtime. And so you can, right. you can take some liberties at the expense, of course, of like your your viewers' entertainment, because I didn't watch I didn't watch Thirty Eight Snub, thinking what's going to happen next. It's just it's not that <laughs> yeah. kind of episode, but that's okay. Um, all right, well let's let's do this, Josh. Let's do the two minute summary, and then we'll do broader thoughts and themes, and then we'll do our our picks of the episode. So yeah. let me read this from Wikipedia, and we'll give it a rating. All right, two minute summary. Walt illegally buys and begins carrying a snub nosed revolver, and um, I'm sure you know what that is, Josh. I mean, I'm yes. not a, I'm not a big gun guy, but I think most people know what a snub nosed revolver is. However, I will say the Wikipedia synopsis links to the Wikipedia article on Snubnose Revolver. And uh, you, you may or may not know this, but a Snubnose Revolver is apparently colloquially known as a snubble, a belly <laughs> gun, or a bulldog revolver. Yeah, I did not know any of those terms. So, yeah, neither did I. But there we go. I'm guessing bulldog because bulldogs look like they kind of have smashed in faces, just like, yeah. a, you know, like bulldogs, I guess, are like snub-nosed dogs yeah. or something. The belly so. gun because you can carry it you know, right near your belly without it, it being seen. Is well, that the it, idea? Unless you're Walt and then, you know, of course you can't do that without <laughs> it being seen. But he's uh, just, he's just bad. He's just bad at concealing it. So bad. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. I've got a knit about that, uh, later. Yeah. Okay. So back to this. So he begins carrying a snub nose revolver, but Mike tells Walt he'll never see Gus again. Jesse, in an attempt to distract himself from having murdered Gail, buys an elaborate stereo system and throws an ongoing party with Badger and Skinny Pete. Hank continues to push Marie away, Marie away becoming increasingly obsessed with mineral collecting. Skyler attempts to buy the car wash that used to employ Walt, but the owner angrily refuses. Walt follows Mike to a bar, and believing Mike to be in as precarious a situation as he and Jesse, asks Mike to get him in a room with Gus, where, where Walt will, quote, do the rest, end quote. Mike, whether out of fear or loyalty to Gus, beats up Walt and leaves. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, it, it hits all the major points. It does not however uh, hit on a very major point which is that walt shows up at one point to gus's house to uh, we think maybe going to, to murder him i know we'll talk more about that later but that seems to be a major plot point that's left out of this and and sort of the last sentence struck me here because i don't this isn't 
this isn't discussed in the episode at all. So this appears to be the author's own thoughts, you know, own analysis, Mike, whether out of fear or loyalty, as if as if they're presenting it could have be it could be out of fear, it could be out of loyalty. And nothing else. I don't else, think that's right. Yeah. I don't think that the episode presents anything like that. So that's sort of the author's own interpretation, which is interesting. We haven't seen much of that in these summaries. I'd say as for a grade, it's pretty down the middle. I'd give it a C, maybe C minus. How about you? Yeah, I think I'm actually going to go B minus on this one. I think it's pretty well written, and uh, I actually kind of like how the author is is inserting a little bit of editorial, even if I may not agree with him or her. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think it hits the high most of the high points at least, and it states in a pretty matter of fact way as befits a two minute summary. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a B B minus. Yeah, that's fair. And and for those listeners who want to know, they also linked used to employ Walt in case you forgot about the car wash that used to employ him. That's right, exactly. I wonder. Let's. I didn't, didn't go to that link. Let's see. Oh, it's a link <laughs> to the pilot of Breaking Bad, where he is, okay. where he's seen working in that car wash. So that yeah. makes sense. You know, you know, one of the things I forgot about this episode and sort of the beginning of this season is how little we see Gus. You know, I we obviously saw him in a big chunk of the last episode, but he didn't say anything or almost nothing, and then he's completely absent from this episode, and I'm pretty sure he's completely absent from the next episode as well. He's not and, exactly completely absent from this episode. He had, oh, he's not. He, he says. Does three, he have a moment? He says three oh, he words. Has, okay. Okay. <laughs> on, so on the phone, right? Right. 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 Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's right. But but he, you know, visually, he's completely absent. Yeah. True. So and and I totally forgot that because he's really been set up this season to be Walt's main nemesis, and I think that it, it's sort of an interesting tactic. It's almost like a a tactic you might use in a in a horror film, which is it's almost scarier not to see your enemy yeah, than it is point. to see them. And, and so maybe that's what they were trying to do sort of at the beginning of this season. Yeah, that's a great point. He's the invisible enemy. We've seen right. him before, but he's scarier when we can't see him. And I think certainly he's scarier to Walt when he can't see him. Yeah, right? definitely. Walt, Walt's a control freak. He wants to control what's around him. How, you, how can you control something that you can't see? It's, it's right. intangible. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's a great point. Yeah. So that's, that's a great broader thought and theme. Uh, mine for this was just pointing out the Skyler conversation with Bogdan that we'll talk about a little bit more as well. But I really like what Vince Gilligan is doing with Skyler's character in the first few episodes of season four here. We'll have more to say, I think in the next episode, but you see, you see a little bit of a turn here. I mean, just the, um, just the conversation in which Bogdan insults Skyler and insults Walt to Skyler. Um, you can see her get get visibly indignant at that suggestion, and that sort of I think is is enough to to light a light a fire under her that is eventually going to lead her down a path where we wouldn't have seen her going down, you know, as early as like early last season. But so we've been seeing this sort of slow metamorphosis of Skylar um, falling in Walt's footsteps in some ways over the past few episodes that I think is pretty profound. But we'll we'll have more to say uh, about that in the next episode, I think. Yeah. And I also want to point out this, this episode was directed by Michelle McLaren, who you're, you'll see her name pop up uh, a bunch of times in the series. She directed 11 episodes of the 62. So one of the most prolific breaking bad directors, she was also a director for the walking dead and a couple episodes of game of Thrones. And then she also directed um, several episodes of better call Saul. So she's very much in this like gritty drama with the anti-heroes and she directs them very well. Do you have the list of the episodes that she's directed in front of you? I don't have it in front of me, but I'll look it up and and we'll get back to that. Uh, Sounds later. good. Yeah, I'm curious yeah. to know if she's directed any of our favorites or if this is if this is more her style that she does the the slower right. um, 
in some ways deeper episodes that that build character development. Right, right. But I'll, while I'll you look, look that up, up and, Josh, yes. let's uh, let's go on to best scene, best writing, yeah. best moments. Our nominations for those. I'll go ahead and get started. And we do, we're just talking about this, but the Walt walking up to Gus's house. Um, I, I like how the series builds this up as if, and we hear the music cueing this up as if we're going to see a massive confrontation between Walt and Gus. This it's all yeah. come to this, and we're going to see the two uh, nemeses face off against each other. But that's not at all what we get. You're going to hear this in just a sec. We hear the music, and then all of a sudden the music is cut by by a cell phone ringing. And that's it. Go home, Walter. Um, so that's the three words that we do hear from Gus. That's his one and only appearance in this episode. Um, and I picked this as the best um, best scene because it does build to this. I love scenes in which the viewer is kind of misled as to what is happening. And if you're watching this for the first time, you're expecting some sort of violent confrontation. We just saw in the end of season three, Jesse kill Gale. Now maybe Walt is going to get some blood for his own and kill Gus, etc. I mean, we opened the scene with him buying a gun. Now he's walking up to Gus's house, etc. But no, of course, as Josh pointed out, the invisible, unseen, archrival, nemesis, enemy, whatever you want to say, is still unseen, is at least one step ahead of, ahead of Walt every step of the way, and literally calls Walt as he, Walt is walking up to his house and says, go home, Walter. Um, so I like it from a, a cinematic tension standpoint. I also like it from a directorial standpoint and sort of the misdirection that Michelle yep. McLaren gives the viewer as we're watching it and expect something big to happen. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you, how do you think that Gus knows that Walt's coming? Does he have cameras? Is he constantly looking? Does he have spies? Like, what, what do you think it is? And one of the things I wanted to point out that was a cool directorial slash, um, you know, like cinematographer decision is that the end of the scene is this huge, huge shot from above. And I was reading about this because typically you think of shots from above being shot, I guess at that time, by helicopter or now being shot by drone. But they actually rented a 180-foot crane that they put the camera on to get the shot of Walt. And I think what's interesting thematically is that that sort of portrays Gus's perspective. He can see everything. Now, I'm curious to know from your perspective, if you have any ideas of how he's seeing everything, I, I think we know he has little, um, little uh, windows into everything with his various people that that work for him. But you know, I thought that was a really interesting thematic thing where you can see from above Walt standing in the middle of the street, and it's you know his shadow is like really long lit lit by the streetlight. It's a really cool shot, but it also works thematically as well. Yeah, I I uh, t- completely agree with your interpretation there. We're stepping into Gus's perspective there as we look from 180 feet up. Um, and, and get the bird's eye view. As far as how Gus knew, I think that the two things that came to mind, one, he has motion sensors and cameras around his house so he can yeah. see this. Or two, he's hired Mike to keep an eye on Walt and Mike is a block behind yeah. Walt and just called Gus and said, hey, he's coming up to your house, which is, <laughs> I think, equally plausible because yeah. uh, Walt doesn't know how to spot a tail, obviously. Yeah. We know Mike is really good at doing that kind of work. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think... Uh, I think sometimes Walt sometimes Walt thinks he's being really careful. Oh yeah, you know, like he thinks. We'll, we'll talk about 
uh, the scene later when he and Mike meet in the bar, but Mike knows that he's carrying a gun from pretty much the first moment he sees him when he's carrying the gun and, and Walt thinks he's been concealing it really well. And he's like, come on, Walter, put it away. You know, like, yeah, I know it's there. You know, that sort of like Mike, you know, sly, like really a uh, monotone voice. And, you know, I think Walt sometimes thinks that he's being very cagey and like, no one's going to catch me, but we have to remember this is a high school chemistry teacher. He has not been in the meth business for that long. Right. So he's pretty green when it comes to, you know, maneuvering around, even if he is a smart chemist. Yeah, I mean, it just go back to the opening scene of the episode where he is buying this uh, snub nose <laughs> revolver or the, yeah. uh, the the so-called belly gun. The belly gun. And uh, and he, he he practices like, well, first of all, he doesn't know what side to put it on for right. quick access. And then the guy advises him not to draw across your body. So it's supposed to go on your right hand side if you're right handed, etc. Uh, and then he practices like getting it out and firing. And it's just the most awkward looking slow process. And the guy's like, <laughs> you're going to want to practice that. Yeah, a, a lot. lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so before we move on to my best scene, I, I did pull up a list of of episodes that Michelle McLaren has directed, and um, she's directed some we've already seen. So let me read let me read this list and and see what you think about this. Let me pull it up right here. Okay, she first directed the episode Four Days Out, which is a pretty uh, classic. Oh, big, I love that episode. Yeah, episode. That was a yeah. good one. She directed uh, season three favorite IFT which has, you know, a totally different vibe, I think. She directed the uh, season three episode, One Minute, which was a big, uh, the one that ended with the big shootout in the parking lot with Hank and the the brothers. And then she directed Abiquiu, if that's how you, in fact, pronounce it. Yep, that's right. And then According the, to Google. <laughs> according to Google. And then the next one she directed was 38 Snub, this one. So uh, she has five or six still left to, to direct. That's including a solid lineup. I like yes. all of those. I mean, yeah. th- this one's my least favorite of those, but it's it's really not a knock on any of the directorial stuff. Right. In fact, yeah, yeah. In fact, like the directorial stuff, like you just mentioned that shot, that comes through and is kind of what redeems the episode in some ways, you know. Right. Um, but, including including the Roomba shot, which I don't think we're going to talk about. I don't know. Is that your is that your best moment? Uh, it is not my best moment, but no, I was, no. okay. I'm glad you mentioned it because um, I was going to ask you about that if we had yeah. time at the end. Uh, yeah. What's going on well, with we'll the Roomba shot? Yeah, well, I think that they just mounted a camera, some sort of a camera to the Roomba, and it was just an interesting way of moving the camera through this party scene to sort of give like, and I think what thematically it's meant to do is it's sort of like really low to the ground, which is sort of trying to show like the bottom feeding of this whole thing. At least that was my interpretation of it. Well, yeah, and and the fact that it's it's cleaning up like disgusting things that are dropped by people who are partying so yeah 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 yeah. i mean it, it really works i think it's very well done i love the yeah. um, i love that element of all of those scenes in jesse's house another cool directorial decision Definitely. okay so let's let's move on since we're talking about the party at jesse's house that that was my best scene and, and i wanted to there's no audio that we can play but i did want to discuss this with you zach as you know why i picked it for my best scene because it's it's not it's not a like an immensely watchable scene it's not something that you'd want to just sit down and and sort of put on in the background to feel good i mean it's pretty sad to watch jesse descend into this like really dark place with these heavy heavy parties and i'm not necessarily talking about the initial party when he's partying with skinny skinny pete and badger and and they're all having fun but there's a point in one of these scenes where Jesse is dancing and it's sort of like this loud music and the, the strobe lights going off. And what I found most interesting and most telling about the scene, which is why I picked it as my best scene is that Jesse is not looking directly ahead at anybody. It's like, he cannot 
lock eyes on anybody. He, instead, he's like looking up in into the air, like looking just sort of wandering off. And I just found that really striking because this is someone who's completely lost. And, you know, it's one of those moments where he's can't even connect with the people who are right there, despite having all of these people around him. I mean, there must be a hundred people in the living room of that house. And he's just sort of absentmindedly dancing and probably high on something. And he cannot connect with a single person there. And he's sort of like glazed over and looking off into the distance. And I thought that was a really interesting way of showing, not telling what Jesse is feeling, because I think that's what some shows get wrong is that they would have him sit down and, and say to a character, this is how I'm feeling. This is why I'm feeling down. But instead it's a really visual way of showing the pain and the descent that he's had after having to kill Gail. Yeah, and the only other thing I'll add to that is that the uh, the way the filming happens there, or it could just be the way it's edited, but it's yeah. it, it seems like they drop the frame rate and then make it a yeah. variable frame rate too. Yeah. So so um, it's choppy. It's choppy exactly, and so in addition to Jesse looking blitz out of his mind and just sort of staring off into the ether um, up towards the ceiling. You also see the choppy footage, and again, it's like it's variable, um, variable um, uh, frame rate as well. So it's like you know you get some that look relatively continuous, and then it kind of skips. And so you're getting the sense that he's disconnected from reality, which which complements his his inability to engage with the people that are all around him. So I thought that was a really a, a really unique way of showing that visually. Yeah, I, th- I think that was probably a, a directorial slash editorial decision. And I think maybe they've directed some of our, our calls, you know, recording this podcast because my internet drops out and <laughs> you right. know, it seems very choppy at the same time. So, you know, could be the same director and editor. Could be. It's the only explanation. Yeah. Well, while we're on this topic, Josh, let's just skip down the best moment nominations because I had an honorable mention for this that actually happened to line up with your selection for best moments. So let's just talk about that real quick. It's the scene at the very end of the entire episode where uh, Jesse is alone in his house after, you know, three to five days of nonstop partying. Um, and again, he can't deal with it, but he just like slides and looks absolutely uh, despairing in front of his brand new subwoofer and just basically holds his holds his head to his knees. And um, and, and that's how we, we cut. That's how, you know, end scene. That's it. Um, yeah. A really, a really striking again, visual depiction of, of what Jesse is going through right now. And I don't think it's all, I think it's a mistake. I mean, the, the summary here tended to suggest that this is all about Gail's death. I think it's more than that, right? Yeah. I think it's about, um, him getting involved in this in the first place. It's certainly about Jane and her untimely death. It's about him backsliding and using drugs again. It's about him, of course, killing Gail. It's also about him, you know, blowing it with Andrea, not being able to have a healthy relationship with her um, et cetera. It's, it's all of those things. I mean, I think he's just recognizing his life and the way it is right now. Going back to the last episode, what, what did he say to Walt in the diner, right? We're all on the same page. And Walt said, what page is that? That if he can't kill us, we'll wish we were dead. And I think he's at the point genuinely after everything that's happened that he wishes he were dead. And it's a really striking and sad thing to see. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I chose it as my best moment is because I think part of this is is Jesse's way of sort of it's like self-flagellation almost it's it's almost as if he's he's trying to feel something or almost I don't know necessarily whether he means to be atoning for what he's done but I think part of it is that that he wants to to sort of 
beat it out of himself almost like he can numb himself to the point he, he tried to numb himself to the point where he would forget about it didn't work now he's going to sit in front of this booming speaker system and try to almost like beat it out of himself if that makes sense so I, that that's kind of why i chose it as my best moment because you know you think of self-flagellation as someone like actually whipping themselves or or you know flogging themselves but in this case it's just sort of a different form of that you know punishing yourself or you know putting yourself in a situation that's harmful in, in sort of a purposeful manner yeah i think that's right i'll just go, go ahead to my best moment as well uh it's from another scene in jesse's house a party scene this is a very serious moment yeah very i was gonna, I was gonna say this i actually i'm glad we're talking about this now because we've we've been talking only about serious moments um yeah. so far <laughs> but every time or any time badger and skinny pete are in a scene you know it's not going to be a very serious <laughs> moment so um yeah. this is uh this is after they pick up the pizza and bring it back to jesse's place to keep the party raging Yo, what's up with the pie, man? It ain't cut. Yeah, right. That's the gimmick. What gimmick? This place, they don't cut their pizza and they pass the savings on to you. What savings? How much can it be to cut a damn pizza? Maybe it's like democratic, bro, you know? Cut your own Christmas tree, cut your own pizza. Yeah, it's democratic. The uh, the democratic principle of cutting your own Christmas tree, Josh. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's pretty great. Pretty great scene. I also want to point out the lack of conviction on skinny pete's part when at the beginning of this episode you know jesse says do you want to take a hit of you know the crystal and skinny pete says no i'm on you know the 12 steps and then jesse's like really and he's like all right i guess i'll i guess i'll take a hit it's like two seconds later yeah i totally i totally agree i mean it's peer pressure though right he watched jesse do it and then badger but that's that brings me brings uh, up another thing i just remembered and that's that's another cool directorial cut there where we see badger say okay maybe just one hit and he lowers his head to the table to um, to take a hit of the uh, meth that's on the table. Right. And then when his head comes up, it's actually Skinny Pete. And so, right. like, yeah, oh, yeah. now Skinny Pete decided to do it. it. It was just a cool, it was a cool sequence. Yeah, I also wanted to point out, cause, because you you brought up this as your your best moment. So right after this, you know, Jesse, Jesse asked him in that clip we just heard, you know, how much money could they possibly save? And, and uh, I think badger says something like you know they it caught you know takes 10 seconds to cut a pizza and they probably make 10 10 million pizzas a year so i was curious if that was the case how much time would they save and it looks like if i did my math right they would save twenty-seven thousand hours if they made that many pizzas and it took that long to cut a pizza Wait, so, so uh, run, way, run that math by me one more time okay yeah this could be totally wrong <laughs> i have not done significant math since college which was years ago okay so 10 10 seconds per pizza okay 10 million pizzas it's so a lot of pizzas. 10 10 million so 100 I, I don't million think that's seconds so the question is how right. many hours is 100 million seconds right which is divided by 60 divided by 60 and i think it's twenty-seven thousand hours that sounds it sounds like the right order of magnitude uh yes yeah we'll, we'll go with it sure <laughs> okay so if that is the case he's not wrong in saying that would save them significant money because you're cutting the hours of your employees yeah, by 27,000 hours. The only, the only place where his logic breaks down is in thinking that this small pizza shop produces 10 million <laughs> pizzas a year. Yes, Other than totally that, he's fair. spot on for sure. He's spot on, which is pretty <laughs> impressive for, you know, someone named Badger. Right. So. It's, it's a good point. Uh, yeah. all right, let's go to best writing, Josh. Um, I will say an honorable mention I had, and this is the scene with, um, Skyler and Bogdan, um, I originally had it as a best writing moment because I wanted to have something different from you just for variety's sake. But ultimately, I couldn't keep it in there because it's not it's really not great writing. It's it's good acting. It's good. Right. 
Um, it's good dialogue and repartee, I think, and it, I think it sets the stage for um, for Skyder's decisions in the next episode. But ultimately, I couldn't really justify it as best writing. So I'm going to agree with you on the best writing scene. Uh, but before we do that, though, let's uh, let's play the honorable mention, which is this uh, wonderful commercial that we get from Saul Goodman. Have you recently lost a loved one in an aviation disaster? Have you suffered injury, shock to the senses, or property damage as a result of airplane debris or, God forbid, falling body parts? Then call me, Saul Goodman. It goes without saying that the six, seven, perhaps even eight-figure cash settlement that I can win for you will never fill the hole in your heart caused by your tragic loss. But you deserve justice. So if you want to tip the scales back in your favor, better call Saul. Zach, have you ever had a fallen body part uh, cause, cause bodily damage? You know, I, I have to say, I, I consider myself greatly fortunate that I have not uh, had that problem before. I just love that this commercial is so specific because he's clearly referencing the disaster of <laughs> yeah. the, the 737 and the other jet, you know, colliding in midair. And it he and and I think what's better about this commercial is if you've watched the prequel Better Call Saul because Mike is in the bar watching this commercial and you know they have a... A, a relationship from the past and you're not entirely sure what the extent of that relationship is you know watching breaking bad but knowing that he's always been sort of this goofy lawyer even when he had more serious moments in his past just makes it all better and yet it seems to me that at the end of that that uh, commercial mike like almost smirks and almost seems to like tip his glass to Saul yeah. a little bit just like <laughs> you keep doing you you smarmy lawyer <laughs> Um, yeah. The only other thing that I have to say on this, do you think that Vince Gilligan had in mind the sequel Better Call Saul all along? Because like, I didn't always think so, but this character is so colorful and there's so much going on there that I just wonder if he started thinking about this as early as like season three. It's possible. It's definitely possible. I think certainly by season five, you know, next season, we're going to see uh, a much uh, expand, a much more expanded role for Saul in some ways. And I think that certainly by then, and maybe even by this point, so you could be onto something. I mean, he's definitely the most colorful character, you know, that we've seen in, in this show. That's not a leading character. Uh, he definitely is the one who makes most sense for a prequel or a spinoff show. I think when I first heard that they were going to do it, I was like, why are you doing this? This is going to be terrible, but it actually Same. has turned yeah. out to be an excellent, excellent show. So, um, yeah, it turned out well. But yeah, I just love these little moments. We don't get a lot from Saul in every episode. You know, I forget sometimes having just finished the most recent season of Better Call Saul that he's not the lead here. So we see him infrequently. But when you do see him, these little moments just make me laugh. Did that commercial win him the MVP for this episode for you? It was close. Okay. It was close. This is a pretty <laughs> this is a pretty spread thin episode when it comes to like different people, you know, doing different things. Um but yeah, no, he did not win the MVP. All right. Well, I, I, look, spoil it I look forward to hearing who it is. But first, let's just yeah. talk about the best writing scene we both selected. This is uh, Mike and Walt in the bar. Right after Mike watches that wonderful Saul Goodman uh, commercial, we get this little bit of dialogue between Walt and Mike. Mike, just get me in a room and I'll do the rest. You done? Yeah. Oh. 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 
I'm going to stop the audio there, but he, he gets repeatedly kicked, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's, it's not great. So yeah. um, Josh, over to you. Why do you think this is the best writing of the show? Well, the actual dialogue is pretty simple. You know, there's not, there's not much there that, that, you know, stands out as incredible or incredibly written dialogue. But I think what I like most about this is the way that the writers have crafted Walt in this situation. He's so confident but yet so misguided. He makes such a miscalculation in thinking that Mike is in danger. At least that was my interpretation of this. Mike ends up punching Walter, not because, you know, he's fearful, but because he's loyal to Gus and he knows that Gus has the upper hand. And so it's just such an interesting thing. We don't often see Walt miscalculate what he's doing. I mean, his whole persona is, exact calculations i mean that's how he operates when it comes to the meth production and yet here seemingly out of nowhere he just does not have he's he's like totally outmatched and and outwitted here so that's why i chose it as the best writing how about you yeah i think everything you said is spot on to me walt's miscalculation reeks of desperation i think he feels like he really has to Get out. I mean, from the beginning of this show, of the episode, where he's so out of his element buying that snub-nosed revolver from the illicit arms dealer, he's totally out of his element. He's not comfortable with it at any single point. Um, and this is just yet another example of that. I mean, even when he's walking up to Gus's house, we didn't even mention that he put on the famous Heisenberg hat. <laughs> but even that, like, there's something kind of amiss there. And you, you do get the sense that he's outmatched, that he's feeling desperate. He doesn't know exactly what the next move should be. And that's unusual for Walt uh, to find himself. Right. And you see him and you see him awkwardly say to Mike sort of at the beginning of the episode, uh, Mike, I just wanted to I just wanted to get a meeting with him. And Mike, it's like clearly knows what he's what he wants to do and what he's talking about. I mean, it's it's just so uncomfortable to watch Walt do that so poorly. Yeah. And and it's not it's not a usual thing for us to see Walt completely, uh, you know, outmatched. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Should we move on to nits to pick, Josh? Let's do it. All right, so I've got only one for this episode. Okay, let's um, hear it. And, and I'm actually, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but what's, what is um, Victor's replacement? What's his name? Oh, yeah. Uh, Nelson I don't, I don't or something? Remember. I think it's Nelson. Yeah. Um, oh, wait. Uh, it says, okay, it's not Nelson. No. It says in the Wikipedia scene that his name is Tyrus. Is it Tyrus? Okay. I mean, is that a, is that a name you've ever heard before? I don't think I so. Don't, I don't seem to remember it, but it does sound familiar. being referred to as Tyrus. Okay. It does sound familiar with, but maybe we don't actually know the name so far. Maybe, okay. maybe it hasn't been revealed to us. I don't maybe, really remember. Yeah, okay. He's just the replacement, right? And so Tyrus, he, yeah. he comes into the meth lab and <laughs> Walt thinks it's Gus. And so Walt <laughs> is getting ready to draw his gun and then so awkwardly tries to just make it look like he was like, <laughs> you know, fig leafing basically with his hands and like nothing's going on. But it was so obvious that he's carrying a gun and that he was about (laughs) to use a gun that, that, you know, and and the fact that Tyrus doesn't like pick up on that, maybe, maybe he does. Maybe I'm not, uh, maybe I'm not understanding it correctly, but um, you know, the fact that that's how Walt decided to hide it was just like, Oh, come on, man. That is, or maybe Tyrus is just so not threatened. Maybe he just, that's also possible. Yeah. He's just like, Oh, this, this guy, (laughs) What a clown. Yeah, this yeah. this sexagenarian who thinks he's gonna take <laughs> me down with a with a, a what is it, a bulldog revolver? Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I only have three nits to pick in this episode. Only first three. one That's is a lot. Only three. I know it's a lot. The first one is who who are all the people at Jesse's party? Like mm. there are so many people. And I, he only seems you, to know I think you underestimate the power of the meth head network, man. 
Now, I don't I don't disagree that he probably knows a lot of people from his, you know, heavy meth using days. But like there are so many people at this this party in the suburbs like and it's and and the other thing, too, is he lives in pretty close proximity to other houses. Don't you think that someone might have said, maybe I'm going to call the police if they're partying through the night and their people stumbling well, and out they have the, the yard. subwoofers cranked up? There's probably yeah. a disturbance of Strobe the peace lights. case to be made. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. OK. Yeah. Okay, so my next nit to pick is not necessarily a nit to pick other than there's a brief scene where Skyler interacts with Walt Jr. And the only interaction they have is she says something to the effect of there's cereal on the table. If that is not a sign of they have run out of things for Walt Jr. to do, I don't know what is. I mean, because, what percentage of his lines or appearances in the film are related to breakfast cereal? I mean, think? I think most. I think most at this point. And I think that's why he's been nicknamed Breakfast. Because yes. he only we only see him at breakfast time. They only reference breakfast foods. This time it happened to be cereal. Yep. I, I just feel like this is a problem that a lot of shows run into with kids. They're not sure what to do with the kids at a certain point. I mean, some shows do yeah. it better than others. Uh, if you ever watch the Americans, I think they deal with uh, one of the kids really well, the other one, not so well, but you know, I think it's just a difficult thing. I mean, they, they're, if they're not the central plot of the show, they, they kind of don't have a lot to do. My yeah, last, that's, that's a good point. My last nit to pick is there's a scene where Skylar is observing the car wash or she's doing something with Holly in the car and she's feeding Holly a bottle and it looks like Skylar has never fed a child a bottle in her life. I mean, she's just like sort of shoving it in her mouth and hoping that Holly sucks the milk out. And, and while at a certain point babies are better at, you know, drinking out of a bottle than, than not, it's like she's had two children. And, and this is pretty bad. Well, and Holly's technique. old enough that because like when the baby's first born, sometimes you do have to do that, like get yeah. in there so they recognize what it is. But right, Holly's right. old enough that you, you, she wouldn't be doing that. Bottle technique, D minus. Mm, yeah, it's uh, it's not great. It's not great. It makes me wonder, like, like a, I don't even know, but does, does Anna Gunn have children? Sometimes when, when I see yeah. actors or actresses make those basic mistakes, I think like, have you ever done that before? Or maybe right. it's possible that she had kids, but like exclusively breastfed. So there was no, like she never actually did any bottle feeding. That's also possible. That's true. That's possible. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's really funny when, when you see like just pretty elementary mistakes with respect to parenting and children. Does appear according to Wikipedia, she has two children. So okay. no excuses, Anna Gunn. No excuses. But, you know, as a, as a parent of a new child who just fed a bottle for the first time, it was, uh, it was pretty bad, pretty yeah, bad bottle technique. It can, it can be. Yeah. Um, well, good. Uh, so one final thought here. Is there any possibility at all that, uh, going back to your nip to pick about Jesse's house party, is there any possibility at all that the vast majority of that house party is a figment of Jesse's imagination? Wow, that would be, that would be interesting. It's possible. It's certainly possible. And that would add a whole new layer to his you know, depths of despair here. That's interesting. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, I love the idea. I don't think it's really in line with what's portrayed here because at the end, if memory serves, when he is all by himself in his room, I think there's trash all over the floor. There's trash, but you know, he could have trashed the place himself, but imagine skinny Pete and Badger. Imagine if that's true. Yeah, that's true. Imagine if, um, if we saw that ending scene and the floor was basically clean, wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah. It was just like, wait. Or if you saw the perspective from when Andrea comes, does she come in this episode? I'm, I'm like losing track of episodes. Yes, she comes yep, over. Yeah. Episode. Okay. So if she came over and you saw it from her perspective, and it was just skinny Pete and Badger inside. That would be interesting. That, yeah. It'd be very interesting. Yeah. 
Zach, if we're not here to posit conspiracy theories about this show, what are we here to do? Very true, Josh. Well said. Well said. Uh, <laughs> well, we've gone through everything except for the MVP vote. Um, sadly, you said you're not giving it to Saul, given his commercial not, performance. Yeah, I thought not, it was a very. I mean, his commercial could win an Emmy. Yeah, that's but, true. But I guess it won't win a Josh Goldman MVP vote. So, that's right, that's um, right. who gets your MVP vote for this episode? Well, I think I, I really had a hard time with this. Um, you know, initially I thought we didn't even talk about Marie and Hank in this episode. I initially thought I was going to give it to Marie, but she has a lot more to do in the next episode. So I thought maybe I'll I'll give her another a look the next episode. I think I have to give it to Jesse. I think he's he has he doesn't have a lot of lines. He doesn't have a ton of screen time, but his is the most affected affecting performance and he's the most affected character i think i think there's certainly a case for walt as well but i think i have to give it to jesse how about you yeah i had the same exact thought process that you did um i think marie really shines in the next episode i haven't really thought about whether or not i'll give her an mvp for that but yeah uh jesse very good in this i mean again you know one one of the amazing things to me is when an actor or an actress can convey so much saying so little yeah just like gus last episode said almost nothing the entire episode and certainly nothing in the pivotal scene um and jesse here similarly he, he says very little and the most powerful moments for jesse are when he's silent and he's just he's just acting i mean it's it's all acting yeah um and and i think it's really impressive we see a lot of not necessarily character development necessarily but um we see a lot of character of jesse's come yeah. through in this in this episode and I, and I have to give it to him for that reason so and I certainly agree. setting the scene for the rest of this season for jesse so i think that's another important thing to think about when we consider an mvp vote is that you know he's he's doing a good enough job here that you're you're interested enough to learn what happens next to his character yeah, that's exactly right. Well, that leaves Jesse in the lead now. He has a slim two-vote margin over Walt, uh, but it's those two way ahead of the pack, 17 and 15 respectively, and then Skyler at 11, and then everyone everyone else trolling down in single digits. So we, we press on, Josh. We'll see if Marie perhaps can win one or two MVPs next episode. Yeah, let's do it. Did we miss anything? I think that's everything. And I'm excited for, for the next episode. Yeah, as am I. All right, so thanks for listening to another episode of Breaking Pod. If we miss anything, let us know. BreakingPod at vernacularpodcast.com. Would love to hear your thoughts on the episodes. Like we had some listener mail last week where we could talk about um, Alana's views on the broader themes of Breaking Bad. So if you have similar thoughts or different thoughts or altogether new thoughts, just send them our way. BreakingPod at vernacularpodcast.com. We'll be back next week with season four, episode three. I'm Zach. And I'm Josh. Have a great week.